Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. So good to be with you guys. So good to be with you guys. Uh, hey, are you guys having a good time worshiping God together? Amen. Amen. Uh, there's a great joy in that. And so uh, for us to be able to now have uh, a few different services, Good Friday, as Pastor Andrew mentioned, and then even this, uh, what a blessing. We're actually thinking of making this uh, a uh, picnic service, outdoor service. And last minute we said, hey, maybe we should do it indoors here together. And aren't you glad we did? All right, so even God knew uh, what we needed in that as well. Well, I'm excited to bring the Word of God to you guys. And uh, I'm going to be uh, doing a sermon based on Psalm 127 and 128. And for those of you from Sunset, this is part of your series. This is continuing your series, because I know you've been in Psalms uh, this month of, in the month of August. So this is just a continuation for you guys. Uh, for Beloved, this is a one-off. Uh, but I'm doing this sermon not so much because it is a continuation for Sunset, but because this is Labor Day weekend. And this marks uh, the end of summer for many and the beginning of going back to our normal rhythms of study for students and work for others, whether working in your professions or taking care of your young ones or whatever work uh, you are uh, part of. But before we rush into our routines and rhythms again, I want us to pause on this Sabbath day for us for just a few minutes and rethink our work life, our school life, even our family life. Because so often we dread waking up in the mornings again, right? We dread waking up in the morning to go to school again, to go to work again, to start a new day again. Uh, we are part of the rented, uh, Kent School District, and my uh, boys have already started school. They're a week and a half in, and my older son has already started the countdown. He has 172 days of school left. You can't start it that early. <laughs> it's like he's in a prison, okay? He's counting down his prison sentence. But I wonder if we can resonate with that. At the beginning of the work week, oh, I'm counting down to the end of the uh, a week so that I could have my weekend. How many days until Friday? And then already it's Sunday again. But TGLD, thank God it's Labor Day, amen? Right? So you have another day to rest up before Tuesday. You have to wake up and start all over. So before we get into the routine and rush of all that, let's pause and these two short psalms, these two short psalms that come out consecutively in the book of Psalms speaks to us about how we can approach our work life, our life, our daily living. So uh, Psalm 127, we'll read that first. And uh, the psalms were a song. That was their hymnal. And so we're going to do it responsibly. So everyone stand up. And we're going to just go back and forth. I'll do one verse, and then you'll do uh, the others. I'll do the, uh, the odd verses. You do the even verses. All right? Number of verses. Here it goes. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman says, stays awake in vain. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gates. That's Psalm 127. 
Psalm 128 reads this. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Go ahead. Behold. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Behold. I was testing if you guys memorized that part of the song, okay? The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. This is the word of our God. Amen. All right, you can take your seats. Now, these, the first thing I want you to know about these two psalms, uh, the title says, A Song of Ascents. These two are part of a larger body of psalms from Psalm 121 to 134 called the Song of Ascents. These were songs that were sung by God's people as they literally ascended to Jerusalem for special feasts and festivals like Passover or Pentecost. These were songs for their pilgrimage. As pilgrims going to our Jerusalem, ascending to our Jerusalem in heaven, these songs contain powerful truths for us today that remind us how to live and how to work before God. From the second verse of each psalm, we're given two pictures of what life can be like. Number one, in Psalm 127.2, says, It is in vain that you rise up early, go, to late, go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. In 128.2, it says, You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hand. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. What does your life look like? more these days. In your work, do you rise early, go to sleep late? You're filled with anxiety and often feels vain, meaningless. Someone said, like a cog in a machine, as someone put it. Or, or do you experience blessings and joy? The word blessed means happy. So does your the work fill you with a deep sense of contentment and meaning and satisfaction? You see the good fruits of your labor and it is well with you. Students, when you study, as you will soon get into study, do you get anxious? Are you already anxious about studies? You go to sleep late studying, wake up early, and so much feels meaningless. I say this, my boys say this to me now too, is what am I going to do with this information later on? How is this going to apply to me later on? Do I need any of this? Or, students, do you wake up with a smile on your face? There's joy. You can't wait for the day to come. You see the fruits of your studies. You're gaining knowledge, and that fills you with satisfaction. Relationships are good in school. It is well with you. Do you these days feel like this guy? Everything is awesome. Or do you feel like this guy? <laughs> I'm a stressed out, nervous wreck about life, about studies, about everything that is going on. Maybe not the outside, but the inside certainly there so often when I feel like this guy more than this guy. But I want to be this guy that says everything is awesome. Why is that though? Why, why do we stay up late and why do we wake up early and why does everything feel like anxious toil? There's a number of reasons for that. First, the very phrase, the bread of anxious toil, takes us all the way back to Genesis 3, the curse of man and woman. These phrases are used then. It speaks about the pain at work, pain and childbearing. So sin, life apart from God, is the central reason for our anxious toil. But there are others. For some, maybe we have made work 
the thing that gives us our sense of identity and purpose in life. Maybe it's family. Even though in Psalm 127 verse 3 it talks about the gift of children, maybe we've made children our idol, our idol and, and they become our sense of identity. And if our identity is based on work, then we better measure up. If our identity is based on our children, they better measure up. If our identity is based on how we do in school for students, we better measure up. We live in a culture where everything is graded. Everything is compared to others. It starts when you're a baby, right? They don't just give you the height and weight, but the percentile. How they're doing compared to every other baby. And that immediately causes stress for first-time parents. As students, you're graded on everything, right? So instead of enjoying learning for learning's sake, and that being the goal, it's about the grades and, and then how that is compared to other students and the curve that comes because of that, and then on and on, SATs in college. And, am I stressing you guys out right now? At work, always measured. How you do compared to other people? Some companies, if you're, even if you're a good worker, but if you're the lowest 10%, you're cut. I heard about a mega church that does this with their staff. That's crazy. I just found out where else I get graded. I just found out that I get graded on how well I sleep because uh, I found out I have sleep apnea, did a whole sleep study with that, and I just, about a month in, using a CPAP machine. Uh, we're 20 years in into our marriage, right? And I'm sure uh, when she said I do to uh, me 20 years ago, she imagined 20 years later she'd be sleeping with a guy with a tube sticking out of his head. How attractive that is, right? But every morning I wake up from the CPAP machine and it tells me a grade, tells me how well I did while I was unconscious. And so just this week I had a 68. I had a 79, I had a 99, yesterday I had 81. It tells me as soon as I wake up how well I'm doing when I had no idea what I could do about it. And it's stressing me out, these numbers. I feel like I got to do better when I'm unconscious. I got to do a little better. But this is our world where everything is measured and graded and that fills us with anxious toil. But there is another picture of life. You shall eat the fruit of your labor of your hand. You shall be blessed. It shall be well with you. That word well is the word tav, which comes out in Genesis 1. After each day, the creator creates and says, it is good. It is good with you. After creating Adam and Eve, it is very good. This good life, this blessed life was ours. It was something that God gifted to us, and yes, we messed it up, but even now, through the redeeming work of Christ, it is something that we can experience more in my life. And it's not just in our labors, our work. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Jump down to verse 5. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. This trickle-down effect of living this good life it affects our work, it affects our children, it affects our marriages, it affects our families, it affects our city even. It extends this good life, this blessed life. How do we get there? Well, we will not return fully to Eden, this side of earth. Our life will not always be awesome. 
but it can be more awesome than it is now. We can experience a little bit more, glimpse a little bit more of this good, blessed life that God desires for us until we finally ascend to our Jerusalem. So let me give you four quick points based on this passage. Verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, who build it, labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. In other words, if you try to do it in your own strength, then it will be in vain. When we try to do it with our own power, with our own strength, it will not work. So what do we need to do? We need to then invite the Lord to our work. Invite the Lord to our city. Invite the Lord to our family. Just invite the Lord to be part of our life in every aspect of our life. I just learned this prayer by John Stott. I guess he prayed this for decades upon decades after he became a believer. John Stott was a, a late great writer, pastor, theologian. Every morning he would wake up, he would sit at the edge of his bed, and he would pray this. Good morning, Heavenly Father. Good morning, Lord Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, I pray that I may live this day in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I may take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Holy, blessed, glorious Trinity, three persons in one God, have mercy on me today. Can you imagine just waking up each morning and first thing you do is not look at the great, how well you did when you're unconscious, but good morning, Father, Son, Spirit. I invite you to lead me, to guide me, to take over and help me each step of today. Can you imagine if that was the case? And then you, by faith, experienced his presence actually walking with you, guiding you, commuting with you, being with you in every meeting, being with you every part of your day, as you want your children, as you care for the things that are within your responsibility. I remember when I was a junior in high school is when my faith most grew. And it was because uh, God convicted my heart to, to pray more, pray more in the mornings. And my parents, my dad was a pastor, he uh, uh, led early morning prayers for my church. 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. was early morning prayers in our church. And I said, Dad, I think I want to go with you uh, from now on. And so my junior year, uh, I remember waking up 5 in the morning, getting ready, and then driving 30 minutes to our church and just seeking after God, reading his word for from 6 to 7 a.m. And then after that, I would get on the bus. By the time I got on the bus to go to my school, I was like the first one there. And I distinctly remember feeling like it was the bus driver, it was me, and then it was Jesus. And we were commuting together to go to school. I felt his presence so tangibly. And that set the rest of that day, the tone of that day as I was meeting students. And it was still, as I look back in all my studies, years of study, my favorite year. And it was because I spent that time in prayer. I began the morning in prayer, inviting the Lord and just imagining by faith that he is with me throughout. Can you imagine if that was the case? A number of years ago, the San Francisco Chronicle uh, featured a story of a bus driver. Her name was Linda Wilson Allen. She had been on the job as a bus driver for 26 years. She began when she and her husband found themselves out of a job. They had six kids to feed, so she would take any job that's available, and it ended up being driving a bus. So she leaves home at 4.20 a.m., 
takes a train and then a bus to get to where the buses are, picks up her bus and begins work, her shift, at 6.20 a.m. But she doesn't see her bus as work and the people that come in as clients. She sees it as ministry and family and friends, as people loved by God. She'll always wait for the regulars. If they're a bit late, she'll wait just a few more minutes. If they don't show up that day, the next day they'll ask, he'll ask, she'll ask, what happened? I was waiting for you. She'll get out of the bus to help every elderly lady, elderly person. Once she saw a woman at a bus shelter, clearly she was lost and alone. It was near Thanksgiving. So Linda invited her to get on the bus for free and then took her to her home. And they spent Thanksgiving together. They're still close friends to this day. By the time she finishes her last stop and the driver switch, she often gets applauses from the people on the bus, including a reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle. He featured her because he said, I've been taking buses for 20 years and I've never seen anything like this, the relationship between bus driver and her riders. So what is her secret? She leaves the house at 4.20, but she wakes up at 2.30. She makes sure she packs lunches, does everything she needs to do for her children. She gets on her knees and prays and invites God to be with her as she goes about this day. She says, I have a lot to talk about to the Lord every day. Can you imagine how different our day would be if we woke up, good morning. Lord, I invite you to come. Lord, I got this test coming up. Lord, I got this thing coming up. Lord, there's this thing coming up. Lord, I call myself before you, and I invite you to walk with me throughout this day. How different your work and studies and just daily life will be. Secondly, we learn fear of the Lord. Psalm 128.1, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord who walks in his ways. And then it talks about all the blessings of of labor, of your wife, your children. And it ends with, behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Fears the Lord. Fears the Lord. I didn't think that would be one of the points, right, of how to live a blessed life in fear. That word yare means to revere him, to honor him, to recognize who he is. The king of kings, the lord of lords, the one who is sovereign over your life, sovereign over everything you'll experience that day. And to put him in his right place, you recognize that you are before the throne of God, that you are not on the throne, but that he is in the throne, fearing the Lord. It means loving him above all things, to put him first in your life. The first time this word comes out, the first time this word, fear of God, that idea comes out is in Genesis chapter 22. Ringing bells? That's a chapter that Abraham is called to take his son Isaac, his one and only son whom he loves, and sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. This is not about child sacrifice, which is forbidden and detestable before God. It was primarily a dress rehearsal for the father sacrificing his only son Jesus, whom he loves, for our sake. But for Abraham, it was about his love, his priorities. Who will he love more than his child. Is it, is it going to be his child or is it going to be God? And so when he makes a choice to honor God and to actually sacrifice his son, God stops him and says, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything for him, to him, for now I know that you fear God. So the first time it comes out in the Old Testament. Seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me, 
I know now, Abraham, that you love me more than anything, that you want to honor me and you prioritize me more than anything. Tim Keller in the book Counterfeit God, speaking of this story, says this, quote, this was the ultimate test. Isaac was now, uh, Isaac was now everything to Abraham as God's call makes clear. He does not refer to the boy as Isaac, but as your son, your only son, whom you love. Abraham's affection had become adoration. Previously, Abraham's meaning in life had been dependent on God's word. Now, it was becoming dependent on Isaac's love and well-being. The center of Abraham's life was shifting. God was not saying you cannot love your son, but you must not turn a loved one into an idol. This test was about loving God supremely. And one of the reasons why we are so anxious in our lives is because we've made a good thing into the ultimate thing, right? Work is the most important thing. I'll bow before the idol of my work, idol of my employers, right? Children have become our, our, our idolatry. We worship in the idol of raising our children and all good things, all good gifts that God gives us, but we've made them ultimate, and so we're filled with anxious toil. But when we fear God, when there's nothing that we would not sacrifice because of our love for we will not withhold anything from God. When we properly fear God, everything falls into the right place. And so we honor and worship God alone. So second is fear God. Thirdly, it says, walk in his ways. Blessed everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. The world tells you this is how you should work. This is how you should raise your children. This is how you should study. This is what you should be doing. And so often it is countercultural to what God says. What God says is countercultural to what the world says. And so what is the way of God? How do we honor God? What does it look like to walk in his ways? What are the kingdom values we should be living out, not the ways of this world? I'll give you one. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters or employers or anyone else. Since you know that you will receive inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ that you are serving. Just these two verses... If you walked in these ways, with shape how utterly different it will be the way that you go about your work and your studies and everything you do. The world's motive is to work hard for yourself and for temporary rewards. Our motives as believers who are following God's ways is we work hard for the Lord. In other words, not dependent on how good or bad our employers are or our colleagues are or how good or bad our teachers are, right? We are working for the Lord. And for eternal rewards, because we're serving him. Once that happens, our shift of, I'm doing this not for X, Y, Z, I'm doing it for the Lord. All of a sudden, everything shifts. Bill Smith was a very successful investment banker. When he first began working, he had three goals. He wrote it down. One, make lots of money. Anyone else can identify with that, right? Two, meet powerful people. And three, travel the world. By his mid-40s, he checked off every one of those boxes. He made more money than he could do anything with. He could have retired. He met influential people, including the president at that time. He traveled the world many times over. And after accomplishing all his goals, which is the goals of many people, most people in our world, his heart still felt so empty. It's what self-centered living does. When you work for yourself, 
for your own purposes. It leaves you empty. So one day in a hotel room in one of these cities that he's traveling, he sees a Gideon Bible. He opens it. He opens it to the book of John and begins reading it, and something ignites in him. He goes back home. He buys a Bible of his own. He begins reading and journaling 20 minutes a day. He's a non-Christian still, but he's reading through the book of John 20 minutes a day, journaling on it. Five months later, he realizes these 20 minutes have felt like a personal meeting with Jesus. So one day, he gives his life to Jesus and says, God, I want to put my faith and trust in you. I don't want to live for myself anymore. It's empty. I want to live for you. Soon at work, people start, beginning, people start noticing small changes in his life. For example, at work, he hated being interrupted, instructed his assistants, do not, do not let anyone who's not on the calendar through. But now he was letting anyone come through into his office, phone calls. He saw them as divine appointments as he listened intently and looked for ways to help those who had need. His emptiness, he realized, began dissipating. Instead, there was this growing joy and intimacy with Christ. One day he's on a flight taking another trip, sitting next to a young man named Jim. They begin talking. Jim reminds Bill of himself years ago when he wrote down his three goals, his life before Jesus, before grace. Seemingly successful, but Jim is empty. Just a few questions, and Jim begins to open up. A while later, he turns to Bill and says, what do you do? Well, I do a number of things, but the most exciting thing I do is I work for a king. A king? Jim exclaimed. Yes, a king from the Middle East. Uh, as a matter of fact, he is. He's very wealthy, very, very powerful. What do you do for this king? I guess you could say I'm a freelance agent. I go wherever he sends me. This king also has a book that's a worldwide bestseller. The king is Jesus, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Jim says, tell me. How did you get this job? And Bill shares his story. They continue talking. When the flight is over, Jim hands Bill his business card and says, I'd like to know more about this king of yours. I may want to go to work for him too. Do you realize that every day you wake up, you have a choice. Am I going to live and work and study and do all these tasks? For me, or am I doing it for my king? In the end, I don't work for the members of Church of the Beloved. I work for a king. You work for a king, the king of all kings. You study for a king. You watch your kids for a king. Everything we do, we do for our king. Just having that shift in mindset and living your life that way, can you imagine how our life could be different, how our days could be different? And then finally, it's rest in his love. This, my favorite phrase of this entire passage, uh, uh, two verses, is uh, two psalms is this. He gives to his beloved sleep. The NIV says it this way, which I actually don't like, okay? He says this. He grants sleep to those he loves. It suggests that if God loves you, you will be able to sleep. So if you can't sleep well, he must not love you. Of course, that's not what he's talking about. What he's saying is this. All this pursuit of identity through work, through family, through everything, this is your true identity. 
you are my beloved. You are my beloved. And just like the first point, we invite God to be part of our day, he invites us to come and rest. Rest from your anxious toil. Come rest in your identity as my beloved. This is an identity that has been given to us, bestowed upon us because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. Through his death and through his resurrection, we are called the beloved of God for those who trust in him. The world says work hard for your identity, and we can't work hard enough, so we're filled with anxious toil. The gospel says receive your identity, and we can't receive his love enough. We need it. We need to remind ourselves that we are the beloved of God so that we can rest then from our anxious toil, rest in the beautiful and powerful arms of our God, of our Father. The most important thing about you is not what you do, but who you are. And who you are is the beloved of God, his beloved sons and his daughters. Oh, so may we invite the Lord, fear the Lord, walk in his ways, rest in his love. I want to invite the praise team to come up. This final song that we will sing is the blessing, right? The blessing from Numbers chapter 6. As we sing this, may you know that you are loved, that his compassionate face shines upon you. May you live and rest in his love. May you feel his presence walking with you as you invite him in the morning, in the evening, in your coming, in your going, in every part of your day and your life. Pray with me. I wonder which of these points, four is a lot, resonates with your heart. Just do one of them. Just begin with one. Will you invite the Lord each morning to be part of your day? Would you reorder your life and fear the Lord above all things? Will you walk in his ways and know that you're serving the king, not yourself? Will you just rest in his love? Just one of these points. Let it marinate over you. Grab a hold of that, the Spirit of God, and commit to that. Just bask in his love and his goodness. Father, thank you so much for your love, for your grace, for your invitation. God, we, we want to invite you to our everyday life, everyday life, everything that we do, everything we're about. We want to invite you. We want you to be part of it. Unless you are part of it, it is in vain. So be a part of it all, Lord. We want to fear you above all things. We want to put you first. We want to live for you, Lord. We want to walk in your ways, and we want to know that we're serving the king of all kings. We're doing this for you, oh God, not for our gain, but for eternal purposes. And God, help us in the midst of the anxious toll that we all experience to rest in your love. Oh, God, even now, the next few minutes as we sing the song, oh, Lord, would your spirit descend upon us? And would your Father, the Father's voice be heard by us as it was heard by Christ in the baptism? You are my son, you are my daughter, whom I love. With you I am well pleased, oh, God. 
as you invite us to this blessed, good life in your presence. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.